Good morning, everyone. My name is Paul Vanderbleek. I'm an assistant pastor, a pastor of discipleship at New Hope Community Church in New Hope, Pennsylvania. I want to welcome you uh, to this sermon. And uh, I just want to share with you that I'm still not used to doing these by video. But um, let's open up in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, uh, your word says that uh, this is the day you've made and that we'll rejoice in it. Lord, that's a declaration we all need to make. Lord, as believers in Christ, we have that within us to rejoice. Lord, but uh, I just pray that in these days, uh, these days of 2020 and COVID and so much uh, other activity going on, uh, very uh, suspenseful, very full of, of uh, things that could make us anxious. And uh, Lord, uh, that you're there. Remind us of that, Lord, as we read your word. Lord, and uh, I just pray that you would uh, draw us closer. Lord, those that may not know you yet, Father, let them know that you're still pursuing them. Lord, that it's just simply them saying yes. Give us a good rest of the day. Lord, uh, whatever time it is, Lord, uh, there's still daylight. And uh, Lord, your word says to work while it's still day. For night comes when no man can work. Lord, I just ask that you would bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want to talk about today um, is really founded uh, in, in uh, that Christmas carol. That Christmas song that we sing, uh, O Holy Night. I want to read some of those uh, words from O Holy Night, if you would just follow along with me. It starts out that way. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. The weary world rejoices. That's what this is about. A weary world. I don't know about you, but have you noticed? I have. As I've gone out and around and, and been out, uh, even just in the car, but let alone uh, in a store or a, or a shop or something like that, uh, the world looks a bit weary. Many people on the streets looking tired a bit nervous, pensive, distant, sort of blank. I don't know if you've noticed it. I have. Take a look around. Maybe you'll see it. And I don't know if you're familiar with this term, the thousand-yard stare. Anybody that's uh, been around uh, military circles, military people, especially those that have been in active combat, will be probably familiar with this term. But I believe it began in World War One. I'm not 100% sure, but um, it was the result of these terrible, terrible, terrible aerial bombardments. Uh, the soldiers in the trenches locked in there for months and months and months, day after day, week after week, without let up, this bombardment. The term at that time was, was shell shock. Uh, it may have been coined at another time, but it describes a person with that relatively blank stare, a flat affect, if you will. 
the person, although present physically, inside, in their minds, they're somewhere else. The human mind can take a lot. We know that. But there is a point where our brains, our actual brains, begin to alter, to shut down. Too much terror, too much upheaval begins to do that. Their faces may elicit little more than a cursory emotional response. They may even have a heightened uh, awareness of a response to the smallest noises or environmental changes. Their minds and even their will to continue at times are exhausted. It's a terrible condition to see. Uh, as a therapist, I've, I've worked with different vets, and um, it's not a it's it's uh, it's heartbreaking. Depression is rampant. The condition uh, known as shell shock, uh, that thousand yard stare. We talk about it today in terms of PTS or PTSD, and um, this is where that person's reality is drastically altered by the events around them, by the things that they've experienced in, or are going through. Perhaps you uh, know someone or have seen someone with that pervasive weariness, that weariness about them. Perhaps it's you that has that weariness. But what do we know about combating that weariness, that hopelessness, that loss of vibrancy that you once had? What can be done about it and who can help? I want to read a verse from 2 Thessalonians. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. And it tells us, don't grow weary in well-doing. Well, that's it. End of sermon. Let's pray. No. No, no, just kidding. We actually need to rest, read the rest of chapter 3 to find out what Paul tells us are some of the means of fighting off combat fatigue, that spiritual combat fatigue. I'm going to read it to you. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 1. And it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it was also with you, and that we will be rescued from troublesome and evil people. For not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the perseverance of Christ. Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother or sister who leads a disorderly life and not one in accordance with the tradition which you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we do not act 
in an undisciplined way among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we don't have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a role model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Busybodies. Now we command and exhort each person in the Lord Jesus Christ to work peacefully and to eat their own bread. But as for you, brothers and sisters, don't grow weary in well-doing. There's our passage. That's our passage that I really want to focus on. If anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of that person so as not to associate with him so that he will be put to shame. And I just want to say shame is actually a very good thing. At times, improperly uh, administered, uh, shame is a good thing to feel when we've done wrong. And yet we do not regard that person as an enemy, but admonish that one as a brother or sister. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. And Paul signs off by saying this, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. And for those of you who have no idea what that means, it meant probably he had horrible handwriting. So for those of you with horrible handwriting, there's still hope. You are still important. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I love that. I love what Paul said. Some very important points in here about combating weariness. I want to go over them. I made some notes uh, in this passage that I think are very important for us to understand. He starts off in verse 1. These are means of combating weariness. I think we need to remember this to pray. He said, finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord uh, be spread rapidly and be glorified. We need to pray. When you are feeling weary, you need to pray. You need to go into the presence of God. That is one great way of unburdening and giving that burden to the one who can help. It's also important for us to remember in verse uh, 2 it says, uh, we will be rescued. We will be rescued from troublesome and evil people. God made that promise. Yes, they may beat us up. They may, they may even take our life. But I want you to understand, that's the rescue. That's the real rescue. Pastor Chuck, a senior pastor, he, he preached the, uh, last week, uh, basically, that, you know, we are not to fear death because death is, is really the hope that we have, not, not in death itself, but what comes after. We know what comes after. The promises in Scripture are of a new life, a new body eventually, 
but we will be present with God in heaven. And that's not something uh, that we should put off uh, enjoying. We should enjoy the thought right now. Don't rush it. God has his own timing for when we're going to be with him. But I want you to understand that when we are with Christ, the, these cares are gone in this world. There's no more sorrow, it says, no more tears in heaven. I love that. I love that. So when we're weary and the world is just pressing down, remember, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have a hope and a future that God has for us. Um, there's another piece. The Lord is faithful, will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. I, I wish you would memorize this. You really should. That You know, the Lord is faithful. Just memorize this. The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one here on earth. Remember that. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. We have confidence, Paul said, okay, that we do. We need to remember to do in um, a little bit further down in, in verse 4. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will do what we command. What did Paul command? One, that they study his word, okay, the Bible, not Paul's writings, okay, but God's word, study his word, that we need to share Jesus Christ with others. It's important. It's our calling as every believer. We are here to uh, share Christ, the hope that Christ offered. We need to fill our time and our minds with, with sermons, um, we need to listen to sermons. We need to study the word on our own and all that. We need to find out what our spiritual gifts are. There's a whole lot more, but I just wanted to give you a few things to, to think about. Okay. Um, verse 5 says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the perseverance of, of Christ. Are you letting the Lord direct your heart to the love of God and that perseverance of Christ? Man, you, you want to feel strong? That's the way to do it. You want to overcome that weariness? Get your head right. Keep it focused. That's the way we do it. Talks about leading a, a an orderly or disciplined life um, and avoiding the wrong people, dealing uh, with uh, those with addictions. Um, it's been known for, you know, forever. Don't associate with the wrong people. The wrong people will take you down the wrong path. So don't associate with them. It doesn't mean, as believers, when Paul writes this, he's talking about those in the church. There are some people who maybe, maybe are Christians, but they're not living Christ-like. We need to back off a little bit from that so that we don't get infected with that same thing. It doesn't mean we don't love them. It doesn't mean we don't administer uh, the grace of God to them, but we've got to stay strong. But too much exposure, uh, it's like with this corona, you know, coronavirus. We've got to keep, you know, keep doing good practices, health practices. It's not that we, uh, you know, necessarily live in a hole somewhere until this thing is gone. We still have to live, but we also have to be wise as we live. Okay, the discipline part. Are you undisciplined? How many people that I deal with? are procrastinators. 
they don't do what they should do. They know they should, but they don't do it. And I think probably all of us, you know, are guilty of that to some degree. But start disciplining yourself. You want to get away from worry and anxiety in your head? Live a disciplined life with your mind and your hands. Be disciplined. Be disciplined. It also goes further on, and it talks about this, about being a burden, an undue burden, about, you know, eating bread that's not yours and so forth. Uh, we need to... We need to lean on each other, absolutely, but don't expect someone to carry you when you can walk on your own, because I want to tell you that a great way to get rid of your own stuff is to help someone else. You want to feel better about yourself? Uh, I know uh, I get migraines, and I go, um, not often, thank God, but I have gone into sessions with a splitting migraine, but I know that I need to be there for my clients. And I'm there. And I have to tell you, every time, and I'm not exaggerating, every time I walk out of session, when I walked in with a migraine, I walk out without one. Okay? I'm, because I've changed my focus. If all I'm thinking about is the way I feel, that's all I'm going to think about. You, you, you look around the world right now, you look at the news, if that's all you see, that's all you're going to feel. Change what you're looking at. Change what you're looking at. Willing. Are you willing to do the hard work? It's very easy when you don't feel great, when life's got you down. It's very easy to get uh, in, in basically a depressed state of mind where you shut down a bit. Maybe a lot. Maybe you don't feel like getting up. Be willing. Be willing to make yourself move. Go do some good things for someone else. The busybody thing. Don't be a busybody. It's not pretty. And it certainly doesn't honor God. And God's not going to bless you if you're a busybody. Um, that don't grow weary. I love that piece. Don't grow weary. Paul knew. Paul understood. Paul had gone through things. If you know anything uh, about the life of Paul, if you don't, after he became uh, a follower of Christ, his life was brutal. Beat up in prison, you know, literally beaten, stoned, almost dead, shipwrecked. But he said, don't grow weary. Well, if we're going to believe anybody, believe somebody who's gone through it before you. If they tell you how to do things, they might have a leg up. So don't grow weary in well-doing. These are just some of the ways staying focused, okay? Prayer, prayer, oh my gosh, prayer. It's so vital. It is your link. Uh, it's it's the spiritual umbilical cord to God. Uh, remember, uh, remember the Lord is faithful. He is. He may not look it in your circumstance right now, but remember in the past, he was faithful then. He'll be faithful now, and he will be faithful until the very end. He said that. He made promises. Jesus made promises. I will never leave you nor forsake you forsake means to turn his back he's not going to do that study the bible share christ with others uh keep the keep away from those that would distract you uh and dismay you some people are just you know uh if you know winnie the pooh some people are just like eeyore and it's hard to be around eeyore type people for very long 
and they start to get you down and finally you're just like oh my gosh the world is horrible don't let that happen remember who God is be spiritually and biblically disciplined now I just want to say all these things can be signs that you've lost your spiritual your biblical focus not being focused on the God of all creation will produce a distance between the two of you. That distance will almost certainly bring uh, undue, unwarranted distress and despair. It does not have to be there. It doesn't. If you recognize that you are in need of refocusing, start now. Start now. You may not have the, the big picture answers, but if you start with the little stuff, the, some of the things that I just talked about, reading your Bible, being in prayer, seeking God, studying, all right, you're starting to make that connection strong with God again. We're not the only people, remember this, we're not the only people or generation to experience the measure and depth of distressing things that we are currently uh, experiencing. I want you to understand that. Yeah, it's, it's the one we know. But I think by studying, if we remember history, uh, you know that expression: if you don't, uh, if you don't learn history, you'll repeat it. But if we look back in history, uh, there have been some very horrible times in human history, and I think about, um, I think about this this uh, this song that we sing, um, the Christmas bells. An example of that weariness overcoming, refocusing, is found there in Longfellow's poem. Uh, it's been put to music. Obviously, most of us don't read poetry. Uh, my wife being an English teacher, I was exposed to poetry more than just high school or college. And, um, and don't tell anybody, but some of it's really good. It really is. Don't tell anybody that I said that because... You know, it's not cool for guys to read poetry. Yeah, it is. Get over it. Read poetry. It'll help you. Anyway, the poem was written, The Christmas Bells, the poem was written in December of 1863. Longfellow had lost his wife to a fire just two years prior. A horrible story. I'll, I'll get more into that. He had recently heard that his son Charles had been wounded while fighting with the Union Army during the Civil War. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. He was witnessing his country being torn apart. The death toll was unimaginably high. If you've studied the Civil War, the numbers were absolutely staggering, just staggering. And they were rising with each battle. I think about growing up and, and following the Vietnam War, and each day there was this death toll. It was, it was gruesome. During that time of the Civil War, there was vehement anger and outright hatred between people and even within families. It was, it was brutal. The poem describes the depth of one man's emotional despair. But like many of the Psalms in the Old Testament, they bring to us a much needed and most hopeful remembrance. This is the Christmas bells. I want to read it for you. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. 
and thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's the poem. That's the poem. Um, it always chokes me up. I think about that despair. If you've ever been in despair, there is no peace on earth. But in the end, in the end, like so many of the Psalms, Longfellow looked up and he says, God's not dead. He doesn't even sleep. The wrong will fail. The Bible says that. The Bible talks about it. The right prevail. You bet. God said it. God said it. And there will be peace on earth. Goodwill to men. One day. Not now, but one day. Now, I want to read you something else about this poem, and I, I really want you to, to listen to what this writer says. Um, she wrote um, a number of years ago, and um, I believe she's um, either staff or a student at Gettysburg College uh, at the Civil War Institute uh, of Gettysburg College. And during my research, I hadn't found this before until I started uh, doing more research on this, this poem and, and so forth. But this is by a Jen Simeon or Simon. Uh, I believe it was uh, written in maybe 2018. But I want to read it. I want to read this to you. She, she goes over the poem and breaks it down and, and makes comments, I think, that are so important for us to hear. She starts off by saying, in times of intense despair, it can seem impossible to have any hope. And many of us have been there. Many of us. There have been a time or maybe times it's hard to have hope. She says, all of us get caught up in the tragedies occurring all around us and begin to believe that life is a constant struggle without any good in it. Christmas time, though often a time of mourning for people who have recently lost loved ones, also is a time of restored hope for many, for many. Um, 
The Carol Tells of a Man Who is Troubled by the Hateful World. This is Longfellow she's talking about. But then has hope restored as he remi is reminded of God's power. I want to read this, what she wrote. It's beautiful. She starts off with several uh, stanzas of I Heard the Bells. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And though a thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Jen interjects here. She says, beginning in 1861, the Civil War shook the nation. The lives of Americans were transformed as the tensions culminated uh, in a battle at Fort Sumter. It's where it all began. It's where it all began. Family members and friends were recruited from every state, leaving many families in a constant state of worry. Longfellow was one of those worried parents. His eldest son, Charles Appleton, left for Washington, D.C., and enlisted with the 1st Massachusetts Artillery. Without notifying his father of his decision, Charles wrote, I have tried hard to resist the temptation of going without your leave, but I cannot any longer. I feel it to be my first duty to do what I can for my country, and I would willingly lay my life down for it if it would do any good. Amidst all this all-consuming war, Longfellow was grieving over the death of his beloved wife, Fanny, who died in 1861. While melting wax to preserve a few locks of her daughter's hair in an envelope, hot wax fell onto her dress, catching a fire. Longfellow attempted to extinguish the flames with a rug and then his own body. But despite his efforts, she died the next morning. Following her death, Longfellow wrote, How inexpressibly sad are all holidays. Six months later, he wrote, I can make no record of these days. Better leave them wrapped in silence. Perhaps someday God will give me peace. He worried the extent of his grief would lead him to an earlier uh, or, or to enter an asylum. The sorrow in his life was drowning out the peace that the carols reflected he should feel. He wrote, A Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. The poem continues. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men, then... From each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. On December 1st, 1863, Longfellow received a telegram which notified him that his son Charles was shot in the left shoulder in battle during uh, the Battle of Mine Run campaign, <clears throat> which is in northern Virginia. The Army surgeon informed Longfellow of the severity of the wounds and the possibility 
of paralysis. For the bullet missed Charles' spinal cord by a single inch. The poem continues, it was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstone of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow was talking about the Christian foundings of this country, the Christian foundation of this country, the hearthstone of a continent. Jen writes, with the tragic death of his wife and the wounding of his son in a war in which he did not approve, how could he believe that there was ever peace on earth? He saw the broken world filled with pain and death and momentarily believed that hate always would outweigh the good in the world, for it seemed to have done so during these recent sorrowful years. The poem continues, And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Yet, Longfellow, a devout Christian, regained hope. Though at the moment his world was filled with tragic grief, his despair was alleviated as he realized that God was alive and his power existed on earth. If not physically, then at least within the hearts of humankind, God was there with him during this war and would reign sovereign in the days to come. The poem. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead. He does not sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail. With peace on earth goodwill to men. His son Charles survived his wounds and he was returned home, mustered out of the army in 1864. Jen wrote as the last line, remember that despite your deepest troubles, there is always hope to be found. And she signs off with, I wish you a very happy holiday season. The weary world rejoices. Yeah, it does. It does. The believing world rejoices, yeah. But there is a weariness that can take over. It can take over our thinking, our emotions, our actions. But just remember those last lines. He doesn't slumber, nor does he sleep. No, he doesn't. He never has. He never has. Remember those comforting words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before his return to heaven. He said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. In fact, he said, I'm going to give you one, the comforter. I'm going to send him. When I get up to heaven, I'm sending him down. He told that group of disciples, stay in Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And he will be your strength, your comforter, your teacher, all these things. Is it wearisome to look at the news as we drive around? We see people and, you know, they got that look in their face. I want you to remember we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. Yeah, we need to be smart. 
we need to be careful, we need to be, you know, courteous and all those things. But I want you to understand, I want you to understand, um, just about an hour or so ago, I received word that uh, one of the members of our church uh, has passed away. He has, uh, he had been in battle uh, with physical issues for years on end. And um, he had said for the longest time, I'm ready, I'm ready. He was wary uh, of what the future held, and he grew weary of what his present had. But this one thing that he knew, God was with him. God was with him. And he said, God, whenever you're ready, I am too. But while he was living, he was still praising God. But now he is no longer weary. He's no longer weary. He is in the presence of his God, his Savior, Jesus Christ. He's at peace now. His body was a mess, diseases and all kinds of physical ailments. But now he's at peace. But I want to share with you that we do not have to wait until we die to find peace. That would be ridiculous. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. But by prayer, again, one of those key components in 2 Thessalonians 3. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God and the peace the peace that passes understanding will guard your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. I want you to understand, though, that's only for believers. That's only for believers. The offer has been made to every man and woman, every child. The offer has been made. Come to me. Come to me, Jesus said. All ye who labor and are heavy laden. That sounds like weary, doesn't it? Are, are you weary? Are you weary of struggles? Maybe it's your health, your family, your finances. Uh, it can be a million different things. Maybe you're weary of that. Accept that offer, uh, that offer, that invitation by Jesus himself. Come to me. Come to me, he said, and I will give you rest. When someone is weary, they need rest. And when you're weary on the inside, not physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually weary, Come to Jesus. If you've never accepted him, is he talking to you? Is he speaking to you through this sermon? I hope so. I hope so. Because he is the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Come to him now. Let him administer as only he can. That peace that passes understanding. That's what overcomes weariness. For those of us that are believers, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, don't grow weary in well-doing. And it's really interesting, those pieces on how to stay on top of this. We need to pray. We need to associate with the right people. We need to be studying our word. We need to be ministering the grace of the gospel to those around us. You're going to get tired? Yeah. But I don't know that you're going to grow weary if you are. Let it be a sign that you need to reconnect a little tighter with God. Maybe he's telling you 
back off a little bit. God does not expect us to save the world. His son did that. If they accept. What he said is, go make disciples. That can be exhausting. Right? But God didn't tell one person to disciple the whole world. Just those that he gives you. Be careful. Be wise. Keep fighting. Keep praying. Stay in faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, uh, for our brother. Lord, uh, wow. He's in heaven. He's in heaven. I can't imagine stepping from this life of pain and, and so much into a world where there is no pain, there are no tears, there's no more sorrow, no suffering. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that that is what you offer. It is our hope. It is our hope, our blessed hope that, Father, just as your son was resurrected, that we too, Linnell is in heaven, his body's here on earth. But like all those who have died before him, who have trusted Christ, one day we get those resurrection bodies. Father, they're going to be perfect, perfect. And Father, I just pray for those that do not know you yet, that they will listen, that they will listen. And Father, if you're if you're if you're moving in that in that consciousness of an individual who hasn't surrendered to you yet, let them know that surrender to you means freedom, joy, fearlessness. In Jesus' name, Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone.